Hello and welcome to Revolution Cry Radio with Felix and Ish. I'm Felix, and I hope, if you're in the United States, that you had a safe, fun, and awesome 4th of July Independence Day weekend. This is episode number 24, and it is a flashback episode. In this one, we got to have a great conversation with one of the coolest pastors I've ever met, the founder of Oasis of Hope Foundation, David Taylor. In this episode, we also got to feature for the first time, Gabriel Miranda's This Generation Cries. And our devotion comes courtesy of community leader, minister, and family man, Justin Florence. So sit back, relax, and be blessed and encouraged by this awesome episode. God bless you. Hello, world. Welcome to Revolution Cry Radio Hour with Felix and Ish. I'm Felix. And I'm Ish. And we're so happy and excited to have you on our seventh episode of this show. Seventh Seven heaven, baby. All right. Very excited. And as usual, we do have a very good show ready for you, don't we? Always excellent. Great, great, great. And I want to begin with our verse, our scripture for today. Our verse comes from Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Awesome. And it says... Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Excellent scripture. You know, that is so true. I think in this world, we get so easily frazzled. We get so easily afraid and fearful. But what the word says in perfect love, there's no fear. Amen. And that last thing, he is always with us. Wherever we go, Do he not be is with afraid. us. And that's very encouraging and comforting indeed. Amen. Amen. And so do you have any phobias, brother? Phobias. I think I'm afraid of not being a good caregiver. I think that's one fear oh. that comes with parenting oh. that uh, you are afraid that your children are going to get in danger or in trouble Ooh. or hurt. Very and you're not going to be there. Very natural, you know, having an autistic son. I'm always afraid when we let him go in public because he likes to escape. <laughs> and you've been a part of that, chasing my son. He likes to run off. Very true. But I want to assure you, brother, you're a very good father, a very good husband. So keep up the good work. And But it's, sometimes it's good to be challenged. It's sometimes good to look in the mirror and say, you know, how can we be better, right? I mean, isn't that the goal in life is to remain excellent or to grow in ways that need growth? I mean, Amen. Couldn't agree more. That is one of the things that God calls us for, to learn and improve and get better, to deepen those relationships, not just with God, but with everybody that we come in contact with. Amen. And uh, to rely more and more in Him, because His providence is the one that provides and takes care of us. It gives us peace. And just like the scripture says, be strong, courageous, do not be afraid or discouraged. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, world, we worry way too much. And, and I think when we know that perfect love that casts out fear, there's no reason to fear when God is near. Amen, brother? Amen. Couldn't agree more. All right. Perfect segue. First song is Rosin Peralta with Breathe In. 
of my energy I look up and the whole room spinning You take my cares away I can so overcomplicate People tell me to medicate Feel my blood running Swear the sky's falling I know that this is by Rosan Peralta. Always a encourage a picker upper that song, huh? What do you think? You love that song? It's one of my favorites and I'm glad we started with that song. Yeah, I think Rosan Peralta's version is amazing. Some people are looking at everything but what the truth ought to be. Father hear us. Your children thirst for more of you To give life and truth Father, reach us Make us more in awe of you To bring a light that shines in the darkness
Generation Cries by Gabriel Miranda from Revolution Cry. What a beautiful song. Now we have a new guest and I'm gonna let Ish do the introduction. Oh brother, you know, I owe this man my wife, you know? I remember on the Valentine's Day episode, uh, Beatrice was here and we shared that story about how we met. Well, guess what? My wife was a part of this ministry and still we are as servants now here in the United States. But this dear brother, David Taylor, Reverend, um, the founder of Oasis of Hope Foundation. I mean, I'm just gonna let him explain everything, but this is my hero. So because of this man, I found my wife <laughs> on mission trip that. back in 2008. I met my wife through this ministry. So I will allow a Reverend David Taylor explain. Brother, introduce yourself. Well, yeah, as he said, I'm the Reverend, Reverend, you know, very holy man. I think not. I'm David Taylor, you know, founder of Oasis Work Foundation. We're based in the UK, uh, the US and Colombia. So we believe in 
that scripture that you find in Deuteronomy 4.12 that says, a three-stranded cord is not easily broken. So we believe that the three ministries together will be exponentially stronger than they ever would have been individually. I'm not from the US or Colombia, as you might ascertain from my accent. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm from Yorkshire, a working class family in Yorkshire, right? North of England, born and bred, youngest of 11 kids, nine boys and two girls. Is that okay for an introduction? I'll say yes, big family. I didn't know that. Wow. And I know your story is very inspiring, very fascinating. Tell us what life was like before you got into ministry. Before I got into ministry, obviously, I've been in ministry really from the get-go once I became a Christian, but I have not always been a Christian. As I say, I came from a big family, nine boys, two girls, and in my hometown of Kingston-upon-Hull, it was basically a fishing community. My dad could be regarded as basically as an alcoholic, you know, and he could be violent when he was in drink. Oh, wow. Now, my sister told me a story after I'd become a Christian in 1988. She said, when you, sorry, when your mother was eight months pregnant with you, and, and she was nearly 50 years old at the time, okay, my, my dad who'd been drinking, um, basically knocked her down the stairs. She was stood at the top of the stairs and he knocked her down the stairs and, and she started losing blood and he eventually got my mum to the hospital where they said you know it's a miracle that this baby is still alive wow. so the bible tells us in ephesians ephesians 4 verse 1 that god chose us before the beginning of creation to be holy and separate for him so i believe at that time you know that, that god was with me and my mum went home and had me on the floor of the house where i was born and so that was the beginning because I didn't know anything about that. You know, I went off like my dad became a fisherman. Uh, I used to drink, you know, more than anybody used to drink. And uh, I actually ended up in prison for the first time at 17 years of age. I got drunk and I smashed the, the ship up and stuff. Uh, and a kind of cycle set into my life um, where I knew what the meaning of hard work was. You know, every now and again, I used to do the wrong thing. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible, I think it's a Romans 7, verse 15. It says, I don't understand what I do. For instead of doing the things that I want to do, I always end up doing the things that I hate. And that was me. Mm. I believed I was a good person. I tried to do the right thing, but always ended up doing the wrong thing. Preach, brother. Yeah, you know, and that was me. Uh, all that kind of happened. I left the fishing industry. I joined the merchant navy i went all over the world i went to the philippines indonesia australia the americas all over europe uh, you know and i was using drugs at that time i used to smoke a lot of marijuana and cannabis and stuff and and i, I thought you know simple economy is like if you're going to use drugs why not you know but basically sell a few while you're at it okay oh wow so i i was doing that was buying drugs and selling them i remember one time in australia i was in a, a place called newcastle in new south wales and I, i'd bought a lot of ashish from indonesia uh, sorry from chittagong in bangladesh and i was going to sell it in um, sydney australia so the guy rings me and said i'm not willing to come to you you've got to bring it to me so i said okay i'll do that uh, I'll get the train to Sydney from Newcastle. Well, I will I know you when you arrive? I said, I'll have a big pink carnation in my denim jacket. He said, are you joking? I said, you'll see when I arrive. So I arrived with a big pink carnation in my denim jacket. He said, uh, yeah, you, you were right. You are a bit of a unique type, unusual guy, are you? I said, yeah. 
<laughs> well, all good things or bad things in this case come to an end. And I got caught after being in Nigeria and bringing drugs back to England. I got found guilty of um, possession with intent to supply, so I went to prison again on that occasion. Finally, my final time in prison was in 1988. I'd left the British Merchant Navy behind. I'd done one or two other jobs. But at this stage, I was actually a businessman. Can you believe that, Ish? Felix, can you believe I was a businessman? Do I look like a businessman? <laughs> well, some people say I've got the gift of the gab, so I could sell. Okay, and I was selling furniture. I think you look like a businessman. Yeah, of course I do with my T-shirt on. And, let's you know. give him a suit. Come on. <laughs> a tie. Yeah, I don't do suits. I don't do suits. But, you know, I was a businessman. I was selling furniture, and I did it so well that I was able to buy my own yacht, which was um, anchored in Port Andrach in Mallorca. It's a 30-foot yacht called Sloper. I owned my own business, Lock, Stock and Barrel, and I had literally thousands of pounds in the bank. So I came home from Mallorca in, as I said, 1988, and I got involved in a, a crime, and it was a type of crime that I've never been involved in before. I was violent, drinking, drugs, fighting, you name it. But this was a conspiracy to take some money. So I bet you two guys are thinking now, wow, he had his own yacht in Mallorca, he had thousands in the bank, he owned his own business. How much money was you conspiring to take? Was it a million? Mm. No. It was about $600, okay. Oh, wow. So you might, why did he get involved in that conspiracy to take $600 when he had everything that he had? Well, little did I know it, but money was my God mm. at that time. Money catered for all the basic insecurities that I had in my life, but I didn't know that until I became a Christian. So I got sentenced to four years in prison for that conspiracy. Because when you're talking about conspiracies in English law, you never go to prison for a few months. It's always for a few years. So I ended up in prison. Why did I do what I did? I traveled all over the world at that time. I knew all about Eastern philosophies and religions and stuff like that, but no one had ever told me about Jesus Christ of Nazareth and that he died on the cross at Calvary for me. No one had ever told me about that. So I ends up in this prison. And one day I decided to go to the chaplaincy. It was a very traditional Anglican chaplaincy. No one ever got excited in that chaplaincy. If they got really excited, they used to raise their heels about two inches. That's if they got really excited. Okay, so I was there, never been in a church in my life, no religion in our family whatsoever. And then this guy handed me a book, uh, and it was a very powerful book. It was John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, the second most read book in the English language after the Bible. And I got to the chapter called Vanity Fair. And when I was reading Vanity Fair, I began to realize what a vain, conceited, selfish person I'd become in my life. Everything that I truly had that had been of any value, I allowed it to slide through my fingers for the love of money or for some other selfish motive. But you can read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress till you're blue in the face, if you like. You can go to church seven days of the week, read the Bible front cover to back cover, but that is not gonna make you a Christian. It's back to work in a rain. 
with Reverend David Taylor about how he has transitioned from his former life, now living the life of uh, a son of God, Jesus Christ as his Savior. So tell us now how you came about uh, God inspiring you to create this mission, formerly known as Columbia Child Care International. God spoke to me because God's always speaking to me. He started in those toilets in 1988 and he's spoken to me ever since. And he said, David, I want you to start a children's ministry. And I said, Lord, I know you get it right 99.9 times out of 100. How many? No, no, I'm joking. He he knows the beginning from the end. I said, Lord, I know nothing about children other than I was one myself back in the day. Okay. So I said, right, children's ministry. Here we go. So I founded Columbia Childcare, as it was known at that time in 1999. What do we do at Columbia Childcare? Well, First and foremost, we try to raise the quality of life of some of the poorest of poor children on the Atlantic coast of Colombia, because that's where we work. And we also basically do church planting, education, food, medical missions, evangelism, of course, is the big one. I believe this is the decade of evangelism right now from 2020 to 2030. So we're concentrating our, a lot of our efforts on, on that at the moment. But we take kids, you know, from poor backgrounds and possibly living on dirt floors and little in the way of sanitation, actually living without much hope at all. So the name Oasis of Hope is quite appropriate for what we do. Typically, we take a child, as I say, never had education in their lives before, and we bring them to our schools. And we love on them, first and foremost. You know, our ministry is a ministry of love. It's a simple ministry. Um, but we, oh, God has gathered around me this incredible team. So we take a child, a child like Camilo. 
Camilo Reyes. He came to us, he'd been to lots of other schools, his mother had taken him to school after school and he was a rebellious child, Camilo. And he finally ends up at Oasis of Hope. And like I say, our team gathered round him and he became an A-grade student, excelling in sports, right? Before that, his mother, who'd lost hope on him, had sent him to his dad because they were separated, the couple, sent him to Bogota, Colombia. They couldn't do anything with him there. He got involved in a street gang and a knife fight and nearly died and nearly went to prison. So his wow. dad sent him back to the mum and his mum brought him to Oasis. As I say, he thrived with us, excelled with us, uh, you know, graduated from our school, went on to university uh, to do a sports science degree. And guess what? He's on staff with us now in Oasis and we're just about to start Oasis World Foundation Sports Academy and he's going to be our director. Oh, so that, wow. that's a typical story. Of course there's many many stories I could share th this evening uh, but that's just one of them.
Mara, you know, one of our students who's about 12, 13 years of age at the moment. She's been with us from the get-go about a year ago. A dad, a, a guy called da Dagalberto, he, he's waiting at the school gate for her. Uh, all the parents are there. We, we leave at 1.30 in the afternoon. Um, just as about to pick his daughter up, two guys go by in a motorbike and shoot him five times in the head, killed outright in front of his daughter. Oh, so wow. as well as the success stories, we have some really sad stories as well. Mara, you know, mum wanted to take her out take her away from Santa Marta to get away from the horror, you know, obviously what happened then. But she refused to go. She refused to leave Oasis. She said, Oasis are my family, okay? And we got her a psychologist and then she became part of our sewing machine project where we have 14 girls learning how to, you know, make things on sewing machines and we also teach them business skills. Perhaps if they don't go on to university or further education, they're going to have a skill that, that can take them right through their lives and it's a way of earning money. There's many, many stories. I could be here all night. Mara's doing well, by the way. She's doing well. Many of the success stories, and literally we've had hundreds of students now gone through and graduated from Oasis and gone on to university and become environmental engineers, uh, dentists, lawyers, you name it, you know, professionals in this life. So we believe that through education, you know, that's the pivotal variable in some ways that's going to break that cycle of poverty that they were born into through no fault of their own. I think there's the power of your ministry in focusing on education uh, because your ministry doesn't just give the fish, it teaches people how to fish. Moving forward, where do you see this ministry going? Well, um, you know, as I say, we've just recently become a, a, a foundation in the UK because you have to go through the charity commissioners, you have to go through companies now. So we've been accepted or approved as a fully blown foundation in the UK. Uh, and now in the US, of course, we went through the name change of uh, Columbia Childcare International Incorporated to Oasis Oak Foundation. And, and in Colombia, of course, we were always at La Fundación Oasis de Esperanza. So we're Oasis of Hope, Colombia now. So the three together, we're rebranding. So that's part of the immediate future is to rebrand uh, our you know, ministry, our charity. And as I say, I had two words, three words actually in 2020. One was diversification. The other was innovation. And then I was in New York. A good friend of mine is a, a lady called Bettina. She's a, originally Filipino and she was David Wilkinson's personal assistant for about 27 years. So Bettina's a friend of mine and we were, I were there with my two of my sons, uh, Hudson and, and Nathan, and she was showing us around the Times Square church. Uh, and then as we kind of were leaving, she said to me, uh, David, remember the poor? And I thought, remember the poor? We've never forgotten the poor, have we? We've always worked with the poor. Uh, and that's true. But, you know, when you actually focus on something, the Apostle Paul said, I bring all my energies to bear on this one thing. And I started focusing on the poor. And, and I started seeing, you know, how much more we could do, right? And, and since the last few weeks, we've literally seen hundreds come to Christ by focusing on them. We're using a simple strategy 
of food distribution. So the food is attracting them and before we give the food out, we give a very simplistic uh, gospel message. Usually I like the one from John 3, where Nicodemus goes to Jesus in the dead of, dead of night. And remember, Nicodemus was a Jewish leader. He knew the scriptures back to front. But he said to Jesus, I am such a, you know, a good uh, leader, but how do you get to heaven? So Jesus said, you must be born again. Mm. Uh, and that's what we are kind of preaching. You must be born again. We're not wasting time, uh, you know, preaching from Deuteronomy and uh, Leviticus and stuff, going right for the jugular. You must be born again. And then you must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because being baptized in the Holy Spirit is going to empower these people to make that difference in their society. So concentrating on evangelism, not putting on the back burner education by any stretch of the imagination. But we believe that our resources are going to increase exponentially by this coming together of the three ministries in Colombia, UK and USA. So yet we're really excited about what comes next. I was hoping for a straight shot trip direct route wasn't planning on a side road no go slow down but god you're changing my direction i'll trust the Sometimes I tend to wander so far from home Just to find myself lost and broke down
Wow, what a great interview and such an amazing story to hear all the way from England and doing missionary work in Colombia. You cannot make this stuff up. I mean, God calls us and we just got to answer. That's incredible. I know. I wanted to hear more. His story and his testimony was so captivating. And now we have community leader and local church minister who serves at Powerhouse Church in Orlando, Florida. He's back with us with a super message. Take a listen from dear brother, Justin Florence. Hi, everybody. Justin Florence here. Looking forward to sharing with you tonight. And tonight's title for the message is Running with Horses. And uh, there's a, a book by C.S. Lewis, one of the five of the Chronicles of Narnia, and it's called The Horse and His Boy. And this boy feels like he's alone and feels like he is uh, constantly going through negative things. And Aslan shows up. If you remember Aslan from the Chronicles of Narnia, he comes into the picture and he looks at the boy and he says, child, and he says, I'm telling you your story, not hers. No one has told any story but their own. You know, each of us have a story each of us uh, experience life one way or another through, through experiences, through um, things that we go through, through people, through events. And uh, I would imagine that if you and I had a very similar event, you would perceive it a little bit different than I would. You would experience it a little bit different than I would. The outcome of that event might be different for you than it was for me. And it's not necessarily one way or another that it's good or it's bad. It's just simply that, you know, that's how we are. We're, we're a sum of our experiences, if you will. And uh, Jeremiah in, in chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, we hear the call of Jeremiah. This is where God comes to Jeremiah and he says to him, and this is a very famous verse in verse 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then Jeremiah responds to him and he says, Then I said, Ah, Lord, behold. I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all who I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a situation where you feel like God is calling you to do something, and the first thing you do is you give him an excuse about why he's picked the wrong person? That's Jeremiah. Jeremiah was evidently young. He was probably a boy at this point, maybe 12, 13. We are reminded of Samuel when God first calls Samuel as a young man. Um, but this is very similar. You know, this is a, a very similar experience for Jeremiah. And he says, you know, I'm only a youth and I don't know how to speak. And, you know, one of the things uh, about running with horses is, is that if you, if you find a way to miss God's plan, by using excuses, you'll never be able to run with horses. We can find ways to miss the plan of God. We can come up with reasons as to why the plan of God is not a good plan. We can use excuses, much like Jeremiah, but aren't we grateful that God, just like to Jeremiah, responds to us and says, hold on a second. Don't say that you're just a youth. Don't say that you're not good enough. Don't say that your past is, is not good enough. Don't say that... You know, you're not the right stature. Maybe you look like David and you don't look like so much like Saul. Saul was this handsome guy. He was tall. He was a head above everybody else. And everybody thought he should be king. But as we know with David, David doesn't, you know, God looks at the, the inward parts of us, not the outward. And we have to be very careful to, to miss God's plan by responding to his petition 
with excuses. We can't do that. You know, our views of ourselves often affect the way that we respond to God, right? And there are many things that cause us to resort to excuses. Maybe it's other people's opinions of us. You know, your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, your teacher, maybe your, your ex, maybe you're no longer married and that ex tore you down. And those excuses to move forward for God and God is saying, look, I can still use you in that broken state. I can still restore you from where you are. I still see value in you. We come up with excuses. Maybe it's the, the fear of the unknown, right? Past experiences have caused fear, and now we're in a position that we have no idea what's coming next because we're afraid that whatever is coming next could be very similar to what has gone on in the past. Those excuses will prevent us from moving forward with the plan of God and from running with horses, there's an old saying, and, and I heard this from a friend of mine that I worked with when I was actually in my early 20s. And um, I don't know where this guy comes in, and he's working with us, and we're talking, and different things come up. And he gave me this, this quote, and I love it. And it says, excuses are tools used by fools to build monuments of nothingness, and those who specialize in their use seldom accomplish anything. I'm going to repeat that. Excuses are tools used by fools to build monuments of nothingness. And those who specialize in their use seldom accomplish anything. Now, this can seem uh, a little mean, right? A little off-putting. But the reality is, is that you can see uh, the projection of somebody's life in the way that people pursue the plan and will of God by whether or not they use excuses or whether or not they do not let excuses define them. You know, when God refutes Jeremiah's excuse with more reassurance, that's God's plan. You know, for instance, there's, there's that saying where there is vision, there will be provision, right? But it's not void of uncertainty. So even though God is calling you to do something, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be difficulty in that moment or in that situation, it just means that God will never leave you nor forsake you. It also means that even though you think you're young or you think that you're unqualified, God doesn't. God knows exactly where you are, exactly who you are, and exactly what moment you are in your life. And the uncertainty of the unknown should not be a reason why you don't move forward, especially when God has good things for you in store. God's desire is not to cause you harm. God's desire is to bless you. So if we change our mindset about God's plan for our life and where we are in this moment, we realize that if we ever want to run with horses, then we're going to have to go ahead and trust God even in these moments right now before we get there. Now, another reason why we wouldn't be able to run with horses is because we don't allow ourselves to fail. I don't know about you, but if you never start something, you're never going to know whether or not you could have done it. And there's, um, there's a saying also that says that impossible is only because it hasn't been done yet. You know, nothing is possible until it's done. You know, for every person that thought, man, we'll never get to the moon, we'll never be able to go ahead and, and fly at the speed of light, or not the speed of light, but the speed of sound. We'll never be able to go ahead and, and climb, you know, Mount Kilimanjaro or, um, you know, break the world record for the fastest race in the quarter mile. You know, all of these things that, that people thought were unattainable at some point, 
um, are now attainable. They've, they've been done. They've been proven. And God doesn't necessarily ask us to uh, understand the end. What he asks us to do uh, is to trust him in the process. I, I found in sales, and this is what I do in my, my professional world, it, it, it life is that, you know, sales are cyclical. So they go around and around. You may talk with one person today and it doesn't work out. But next thing you know, two years later, they call you back up because they feel like, look, you had something to offer. It just didn't work at that time. But now they're ready to talk. And what happens in our lives a lot of times is that we look at point A and we look at point B. And we say to ourselves, how in the world am I going to get from point A to point B? And God is looking at it like, look, it's not just about the destination. It's about the journey. Love for me that conquers all Leads me to a brighter place I am not alone today You wipe the tears from all the pain So I should know there's hope today Though suffering brings me to faith I will rise from ashes to Glory 
the destination we want the end result we don't want the journey you know for every person that wanted to lose weight the people that succeed go through the journey they go through the process and that's why it's so important for us to be willing to fail because failure is not indicative um, of a person who fails it is an indicative of a person who is succeeding and learning from periods of failure you know failures is a moment Success and, and walking that journey is really the true treasure. You know, in James 1, 4, it says, Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete. Thomas Edison said, Thomas Edison said I have never failed once. It just happened to be a 2,000-step process. And he said that when he was creating the light bulb. He failed over 2,000 times. But he didn't count those 2,000 times as failure. What he did was he said, look, I just had to go through that process to finally succeed. And uh, that is how God looks at us. He says, look, you know, I know you're going to fail. I know you're not going to get it all right. I completely understand it, and I'm here for you. And it's about the process, guys. It's about the journey with God, to learn God, to, to, to understand how he interacts with us on a personal level, to, to be more like Christ. And to have him live in us. It's not just about the final destination. You know, my son plays sports. And uh, he's been playing baseball for a really long time. And he puts in a lot of work. His teammates put in a lot of work. And, and he does a really good job. He's successful. He's, he's not only gifted, but he puts in the time. But I've told him, look, man, if you don't put in the time, there is somebody else out there that is putting in the time. There is somebody else out there that is putting in the effort. And... You've got to put in the effort. You can't be worried about failing. You know, you'll never hit any ball, if you will, that you don't swing at. So if you're a baseball player and you watch every single ball go down, you're going to fail every single time. But if you swing, you're going to connect. And it's okay to fail. 
You know, there's another thing, not being willing to start off small and go through struggles. You know, this is similar to the fact that uh, people want the end results. You got to be willing to to go through struggle. You got to be willing to to put in the hard work. You got to be willing to not overlook the small things, the things that don't get recognition, the things that other people don't want to do. You can't be um, so opposed to doing the small things so that you you see the success in the long run. Turn with me in Jeremiah to chapter 12, and we're going to go to verse 1 through 5. Jeremiah 12, verses 1 through 5. And I remember the first time I ever read this verse, and this is really the premise of my, my message tonight, is Jeremiah is responding to God because Israel's a mess. They're an absolute mess. Their kings are, are going off their rockers. They're not serving God. They're serving other gods, if you will, false gods. And it's been prophesied that, look, Israel's going to be taken over. They're going to be brought into captivity. And, and Jeremiah's like, look, you guys got to repent, God. Why are you putting me through this? They're not listening to me. He got thrown in a cistern. I mean, he was having a, a bad life at this point. He was having a lot of negative things happening to him. And in verse 12, he says to him, excuse me, chapter 12, verse 1, he says to him, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. It's a lot of people that have a lot of head knowledge, don't they? But they don't have a lot of heart knowledge. God is not near to them. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart towards you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. Look, Jeremiah was upset. And he was like, look, take them out, God. I don't care what you do. They're evil. They don't have your best interests at heart. They don't love you. They, they talk a good game. And I'm not suggesting that we, we should desire this. I'm just telling you this is where Jeremiah was at at this point in his life. Jeremiah was a normal person, guys. You know, we read about these prophets in the Bible, and we'll talk about another one in just a second, but Jeremiah was a normal guy. And he goes, How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither for the evil of those who dwell in it? The beasts and the birds are swept away because they said, He will not see our latter end. Now listen to, to God's response to Jeremiah. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? If in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? A lot of people ask the same questions that Jeremiah does. God, I feel like I'm serving you. I am trying my best. I see people around me that are successful, that are healthy, that are wealthy, that are this. They're evil. I have friends and family members that all they want to do is they want to talk down about me. They hurt me. They don't love me. God, what do I do? Why are you not doing something? Why are you not vindicating me? And Elijah was in a situation like that. You remember Elijah had seen multiple, multiple uh, just miracles that happened in 1 Kings 17 through 19. Then all of a sudden, Elijah calls forth fire from heaven and it burns up not only the prophets but the the altar and Jezebel all of a sudden wants to kill Elijah she didn't repent Ahab didn't repent 
they looked at him in anger and disgust and evilness and they wanted to kill him and he takes off and he runs into the desert. God does another miracle for him. He feeds him through the ravens. And then God does another miracle and, and brings him to Mount Horeb. And he has a conversation with him. And Elijah is alone. He's in that mountainside. He feels like he's running for his life. He feels like nobody else loves him. Nobody else is doing the things he's doing. And God says to him, go outside and listen to the thunder and the lightning. And he listens to him. And he, God says, I'm not in those things. And then all of a sudden, God comes to him in the still, small voice. You know, there are moments in our lives, where, guys, that God is not going to give you a miracle. You don't need a miracle. You don't need thunder from heaven. You don't need your enemies to be taken out. You don't need a million dollars in your bank account. But, hey, I don't know about you. I'd love a million dollars in my bank account. But what God sees in that moment is you need him. You need just that closeness, that presence with him. And, you know, running with horses... If, if you're tired now, guys, if these people are wearing you out and you're not finding your strength in God, then you need to find a moment when you're with him, when you're alone, when you're quiet. You don't need something crazy. You need him. And running with horses comes through struggles. It comes through through fighting the fight. It comes through experiencing things and, and not giving up and not... Um, not being afraid to start or to try. You guys, God is for you. He is not against you. And the greatest hindrance to growth is to believe that you know better. And if God is challenging you to do something great, and God is challenging you to do something that is outside the box that you think it normally is in, I challenge you to listen. I challenge you to look at the situation that you're experiencing. You know what God is telling you. And don't look at God and say, well, I know better. I'm not good enough. I'm not old enough. I'm like Jeremiah. I'm not the right person for this job. And when you feel alone, get with God. And God responds to Elijah in that moment. He says, Elijah, he goes, you're not alone. There are 7,000 other prophets that not have, have not bowed, excuse me, bowed their head to Baal. You're not alone. There are people that are going through the exact same things as you. There are people that are struggling like you. There are people that are fighting a good fight just like you. But if you're getting tired now, lean on God. Because God desires you not to be tired while running with men. He desires you to mount up and run with horses. What an encouraging message and what a great reminder of the example of David, a man after God's own heart. And I wanted to quote another scripture that ties well into this when... Samuel was selecting a king, and this is from uh, 1 Samuel 16, uh, verse 7, and it says, For the Lord sees not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And that is one thing that we need to keep reminding ourselves. Let's look at the heart. Let's pay attention to our intentions and our attitudes towards ourselves and towards another because we are called to love. And what's beautiful about that truth is the Lord of hosts lives in each and every one of us. We go out there as we live day to day, hour to hour, every second of our lives. May we be that light. May we be that salt that reflects the beauty of Jesus into the world. Thank you, Brother Justin, for such a powerful message. So again, thank you for being with us. This is Revolution Cry Radio Hour, ChristianMix106.com. And looks like we're out of time, aren't we? 
So thank you again for listening and we'll be here next week. Hasta luego. See you in the promised land. When you choose love.